Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, August 4th. Alberta has a new senator after the Prime Minister appointed former Banff Mayor Karen Sorensen to the post last week. We asked current Alberta Senator Doug Black for his thoughts on the new senator and the Prime Minister's move. Every Wednesday, we check in with Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. And once again, today, we rounded up your questions for another edition of Ask the Doctor. Voters in the Treaty 8 region of Northern Alberta recently re-elected Grand Chief Arthur Noski. We talked to the Grand Chief about his plans for the region, including problems facing his people and issues around residential schools. And if you've traveled along a stretch of 16th Avenue in the Northeast, you probably notice things look a little different. We talked to one of the scientists involved with a buzzworthy pilot project. Well, it was a very exciting day for former Banff Mayor Karen Thornson. Uh, Karen Thornson last Thursday last week uh, when the news was announced that she would be the newest senator from Alberta. And she talked to the drives 10 Henley that afternoon about the process. It starts with uh, putting an application for an open competition that any Canadian over 30 years of age can apply uh, in every province. Um, there's um, a very uh, thorough panel review. There's uh, a couple of committees that are set up specifically to review all of those applications um, and some surface to the top. And uh, I guess of those, um, then they are vetted. I did have a conversation, a phone conversation a couple of weeks ago, which I would call for lack of a better term, more of a security interview. It was, okay. it was, it was about an hour long vetting process. Um, and then you hear nothing. Um, and then um, I was informed that I would be receiving a call at a certain time on a certain day. And when that call came in, um, I was directed through the uh, Prime Minister switchboard to Prime Minister Trudeau. Wow. Like, what did he say? <laughs> well, I was actually on my way back from vacation on Salt Spring Island, and I mentioned that. And he said, I wondered where people from Banff went on vacation. <laughs> uh, but then he very quickly uh, moved into the business and asked me to sit as an Alberta senator for the Canadian Senate. And I advised him immediately that I would be honoured to do so. So it was a very exciting call and a very exciting day. And then I was told I couldn't say anything. (laughs) Well, it wasn't all fun and games, though, as Alberta Premier Jason Kenney got a little hot under the collar at the appointment, calling it a slap in the face after having planned a Senate appointment election during this year's municipal election come October. So joining us with his thoughts on all of this is fellow Senator from Alberta, Doug Black. Good morning to you, Senator. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue, and thanks so much for having me on this morning. Well, appreciate you joining us. Always love having your thoughts, and especially on this topic. You know, you were selected by Albertans in a senator-in-waiting election and then appointed by Stephen Harper, and and you heard how Karen Sorensen went through the selection process. What do you think of how she got in and, and sort of how it all went down? Well, Sue, let me let me separate the issue. First of all, uh, Mayor Sorensen, now Senator Sorensen, has been a fantastic supporter and friend of mine since I've been in the Senate, which is now close to nine years. She has been extremely constructive in the work that I've been doing for Albertans. So I am really happy that she's going to join me as a senator representing Alberta. I think she's going to be an outstanding senator. So that's my view on care. My view on the process, I've been very clear on this. We should be electing senators. Albertans should be asked, who do they want to represent them in the Senate? It is so important because we only have six senators and we have four and a half million people. 
So I am a strong believer that the way to go here is Albertans are asked, who do you want to represent you? Then those names should go to the prime minister, and he doesn't have to appoint them, but he needs to know what Albertans think. So I would be happier if uh, senators were being appointed who were first of all elected by Albertans. So that's my view, and that's not going to change. So my I, view is not going to change. Yeah. Okay. So so I mean, then that was what um, the premier wanted, right? Was right. for come October that we, we as Albertans would vote for a pool of potential senators right. that we would mm-hmm. then send to the prime minister that he could choose from. So exactly, he he chose one on his own, and he le- has left one spot open. It, mm-hmm. Is that is that okay, or is that not the right way to go overall? Well, my view is it's not the right way to go. My view is Albertans have spoken. I was elected. Senator Tannis was elected. We have a senator waiting in Mike Shake today. And, and, you know, that's what the prime minister should be doing, in my view. He does not, he does not agree with that view. And, Sue, he's the prime minister, yeah. and I'm not. That is a good point. He, he does get the final decision. <laughs> exactly. it, it, is this the way it is for all provinces? I mean, this is no different for Alberta, correct? Oh, no, this is completely different. It we is. are the only province that elects senators in waiting. We're the only province. So today in the chamber of 105 senators, there are two elected senators, myself and Senator Tannis. And it's a lonely place to be, Mm -hmm. Sue, and I would like to see more folks. I mean, I look at the situation, my situation, and similarly, Senator Tannis's, you know, around 400, a little less than 450,000 Albertans said, I want Doug Black to speak for me in Ottawa. Well, that's extraordinarily empowering, and it's motivated me every day to keep connected with every corner of this province because I feel an obligation, a very clear obligation. And I'm reminded every time I go to the grocery store, the gas station, the swimming pool, people come up to me with their thoughts, their thanks, their complaints. And that's because they feel invested in me because they voted for me. And it's just a better process. Having said that, that's to take nothing from Senator Sorensen, who, as I said right off the top, is an outstanding Albertan. What is in store for Alberta's newest senator? What does she have waiting for her down the road? Oh, my goodness. I have to tell you, Sue, if I had had the answer to that 10 years ago, we might be having a different conversation this morning. Um, It's an extraordinarily challenging and demanding role and the and the reason for that is at this particular moment in time we have no members of cabinet at all it's just there are no members of cabinet and we have today five senators we have the entitlement for six but we have five senators representing four and a half million people well that's a lot of interest that's a lot of concerns that's a, a lot of issues all of which are important and if you take your role seriously, then whether the issue is in Cold Lake or Grand Prairie or Drumheller or Tabor, you've got to be engaged. You've got to listen to what folks have to say, because many Albertans feel that nobody does listen to them. So my role has been to uh, listen for the last nine or ten years as carefully as I possibly can and give advice or take action to try and be supportive. So what Senator Sorensen has in store for her is the challenge of a lifetime, the honor of a lifetime, but also the workload of a lifetime.
Do you think that the message has changed in terms of what you are hearing from Albertans these days? It's been so interesting over the last decade because uh, we've gone through a very difficult decade. And yes, the message, uh, what I'm hearing from Albertans, and as you may or may not know, I did a virtual tour of close mm-hmm. to 20 communities over COVID uh, in Alberta. And what I'm hearing is unbelievable resilience and compassion. We were very, very angry for three or four years because legitimately this government has pursued policies that are extraordinarily detrimental to this province. Our main industry, our prosperity, our ability to retain and attract people to this province. There has been a number of pieces of legislation that have been very harmful. So people naturally were very angry and were asking questions like, do we belong here? Do we have a voice here? Does anybody care about our interests? And unfortunately, we came to the conclusion that we're kind of on our own. So what then happened was people accepted that and decided we're going to build Alberta 2.0. We're not going to expect other people to give us a hand. We're going to do it ourselves, and we're seeing that. I see that throughout the province every day, whether it's the sugar beet industry or whether it's social service agencies in the peace country. People are saying, okay, we've had a tough passage, but we're going to fix it. And you know what, Sue? We are fixing it. Alberta is emerging and will continue to emerge as a stronger, more resilient, and more confident place. I see that, and I feel that, and I'm so proud of Albertans for adopting that attitude. Well, I must say, newly elected Senator Karen Sorensen is lucky to have you on her side and and perhaps as a mentor moving forward. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Sue, great to visit with you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. That is Alberta Senator Doug Black, dougblack.ca. it is Wednesday and of course that means it's our weekly check-in with Dr. Craig Janney for another edition of Ask the Doctor. Dr. Craig Janney is Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Good morning Dr. Janney. Good morning Sue. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I mean let's start with the controversy that's swirling in this province. Your thoughts on Dr. Hinshaw's decision to suspend almost all of its COVID-19 public health protocols and then quickly end the restrictions. Do you feel like this is the right move or is this too much too soon yeah my personal feeling is this is a a little too much in one step Uh, you know it's good news that cases are this low and that we can consider these options but i think a a lot of people would have liked the the testing and and in particular the self-isolation to to continue especially that we're going back to school so you know for for example in my own personal situation i will be uh, teaching this fall with about 150 people in a room that holds about 160, and current vaccine rates are suggesting about half of those will be unvaccinated. So, you know, people have sniffles, they, they no longer have to stay home and potentially come and, and spread that around uh, the classrooms. So, you know, I, I, think, I think we could end up seeing a fairly large surge of cases this fall with people not isolating. Do you think it's difficult to, to not be sharing the numbers with the public, or is this a way to sort of, you know, take some of the fear away, perhaps? I, I think it's both. I mean, I, I think Dr. Hinshaw has a very valid point in that this year we do fully expect a, a more classic flu season. Uh, we were able to avoid it last year largely because we didn't have travel. Flu doesn't get to Canada on its own. It has to be brought here by travelers that are 
coming from other flu hotspots uh, as the flu seasons change around the world. Uh, we had very little travel last year. We had no flu cases in Alberta. We fully expect a full flu season this year on top of the COVID season we're having, and we need to have resources available to test and, and treat all of those patients, not just COVID. And are you concerned about the um, removing mask mandates, particularly on transit, et cetera, that sort of thing, as we move towards the new school year? Yeah, I mean, these are the ones that I still encourage people, if they are at personal health risk, to, to keep uh, you know, utilizing these are really simple guidelines that that um, really do not infringe much on the individual, and yet have been shown to be very protective. And as we saw last year, again, very few respiratory infections in general. So the masks offer broader protection than just COVID. So you know, I think we're going to see a lot of people continue to use them, and the recommendations all the way through from from uh, public uh, from PHAC from the, the the Public Health Agency of Canada is that if you cannot maintain physical distancing, they strongly recommend continuing to wear masks, whether that's a local uh, bylaw or not. Mm-hmm. And we've even seen the Ontario schools will be having kids wear masks as they, as they go back. So again, there's a fair bit of evidence they continue to work, whether they're legislated or not. Okay, perfect. Thank you for clearing that up. Let's. Get- get to some of the questions that we have for you. How about this one to start off? When will the vaccines become approved and not just approved for emergency use? So this text is saying that uh, my son and his wife say once it's approved, they will finally get the vaccination. I've tried to convince them otherwise, but with no luck. And I think that's quite a common thing. Yeah, so in Canada, they are approved. Uh, so so that, that is a little different than the emergency use only approval in the U.S. In Europe, they're also approved. Reporting today is suggesting that the FDA will consider uh, at least one of those vaccines fully approved probably by the end of the week or early next week in the U.S. So that final stage of approval is happening at the moment. We have to remember that these emergency uses are basically allow, allowing the the vaccines to get out immediately and not, and not sit there with a working technology that's not protecting people. So, so it, it's really a formality of the legislation as opposed to truly unanswered questions. So saying they're not approved for and only approved for emergency use, that's, that's not the case? No, that, that's not the case for a number of jurisdictions, Canada included. So we do have a, a different law system here but they're not uh, designated as emergency use only here in Canada. Okay, perfect. Hey, we've got a few more questions. Can we hang out for a couple of minutes? Of course. Back with Dr. Greg Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Dr. Janney, more COVID questions rolling in for you. Here's one. Uh, What does AHS mean by active cases? Are they the same as positive PCR tests? So active cases... uh, is defined by the timeline of when likely exposure and and test positivity were were measured. So, you know, these are cases that if we go back through the records and test a sample, but that person is now outside that 10-day infectious window, they wouldn't be considered an active case. So these are the people in the community that are in that exposure window that are likely still to be transmitting the virus. Okay. Uh, Next question. My wife has the AstraZeneca vaccine. We have travel plans in 2022. What do you think the holdup is with other countries recognizing it. Will that change? 
I'm hoping it will change. This is entirely political, and, and I have no idea why this barrier is there. The AstraZeneca vaccine, for example, is, for all intents and purposes, identical to the Janssen vaccine, and that, that's been widely administered in the U.S., and yet they're not uh, at this moment recognizing the AstraZeneca vaccine. So this is entirely uh, at the political level. We do know that the vaccines work. We do know that the mixed dosing that was recommended here in Canada appears to even work better than matched doses. So we actually have enhanced immunity over most people in the world. And it, this isn't a, a political decision at this moment. Okay, this one's a little bit confusing. Why does no one talk about natural immunity with people who have had COVID? If vaccinated people can still get COVID and those with natural immunity can still get COVID, isn't that the same thing? So that's a very good question. So the natural immunity is the immunity that we would have after we recover from an infection. And, and this happens all the time in, in human life, that you, you get one cold, you fight it off, you should never get that cold again. There is natural immunity to COVID-19. The problem is, is it's a little more narrow, so offers less protection against the variants than what we have seen for the vaccines. The vaccines are engineered a little different. It also appears to last less time after the recovery. So we find people with natural immunity lose that immunity faster than people lose immunity following vaccines. So although there is some protection, it's qualitatively and as far as the amount of time you're protected, less protective. So if you do get a breakthrough infection with a vaccine, that does happen in a small percentage of cases. Breakthrough infection and natural immunity happens more commonly and that immunity lasts a, a, a shorter period of time. So less good than vaccines. Okay, perfect. All right, uh, here's one. We'll try to get this last question in. I'm a senior, single, had two cohorts, cohorts as allowed. One of those cohorts doesn't want to be vaccinated. Help. So where do we send people for the best place for them to get true scientific information? So the, the absolute best thing to do is to engage in your with your primary health care provider. Talk to your doctor. And that is because most of the online resources, although the facts are there, they tend not to address your own personal concerns, your personal questions. What if I have this condition? Is the vaccine right for me or wrong? The only way to get to that is to talk to a, a health care provider who you can list your current health concerns. They have a, a history of your treatments, and they can then best match which vaccine, if any, is appropriate for you. So these are the, the really the times to get out, ask questions. There is no such thing as a bad question. If it's a concern to you, it's a real concern, talk to your doctor. And if online sources, et cetera, I mean, we know we shouldn't be going yeah. to Facebook for our information or YouTube. Yeah, no, so that's a great point. So Alberta Health has resources. Uh, the government of Canada has, so Health Canada is the most up-to-date and accurate resources for the vaccines available in Canada. But again, those tend not to address the individual case. Mm -hmm. And if people have an underlying concern, it's for a reason. And that's a legitimate concern. Talk to somebody about that. We have had great questions for you all through this. We continue to thank you for joining us and answer them all. Thanks, Dr. Janney. Oh, you're welcome, Sue. Take care. You too. That's Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Prof, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. Voters in northern Alberta's Treaty 8 region have spoken and have returned Grand Chief Arthur Noski for another term. Noski is very clear in what he wants to see to address problems facing his people and issues around residential schools. We say good morning to Grand Chief Noski. Good morning to you, sir. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, good morning, Sue. 
Appreciate you being Thank here you. with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And congratulations on your re-election as Grand Chief. It must feel pretty good to have the faith of the people behind you then after this election. Uh, thank you, Sue. And uh, yeah, it does. Uh, I, I believe that, uh, you know, the direction that we've been going and the vision on behalf of basically four treaty eight and its citizens, I believe that uh, the chiefs are in support for my being reelected. Thank you. Grand Chief, what are your priorities then as you enter this new term and moving forward? Well, priorities uh, for us as a people is the education aspect of it. And I'll say this from uh, it takes sovereigns to enter into treaty with another sovereign, right? Mm-hmm. So in saying that, uh, missed all the residential school trauma that's in the world today, basically, I believe that... Uh, when we entered into treaty, uh, education and healthcare were the top two priorities. So, what happened transpired in the education aspect of it had a really uh, devastating impact on our people. In saying that, the uh, our 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 history at the time and our culture is basically oral history, oral taught. So, when the students are moved out, or kids are moved out of the communities to these residential schools. Then the oral history, basically our oral documents of what the treaty was about, was lost during that process. So in saying that, you know, everybody today in mainstream society thinks that it was a, a seed and surrender clause by our people that entered into treaty, which was not the case. So priority is that our First Nations people realize who they are, that they are a sovereign nation to be able to have entered into treaty and hopefully from that, you know, uh, correct all the atrocities that happened to our people in the process. And, and Grand Chief, you know, let's talk about that for a moment in terms of the trauma you talked about through the residential school system, obviously. And, and after your election, you addressed the controversy and said you don't want an apology from the Pope. That You'll continue to shine a light on the atrocities that have been and still are being done to your people and that you want to see changes more so. So what, what kind of changes does that, what do those changes look like moving forward, would you think? I believe uh, one of the critical pieces is, you know, many times... Uh, the, the government, the I guess the famous tactic of the government, you know, in the dealing with the atrocities with the First Nations people, is that uh, they will throw money at this or a payout per person of you know people that were uh, in the system. I guess in in in, in the, with the mindset of you know compensation and you know the dealing with the with the abuse and the hurt. Uh, I will say this, you know, when uh, when somebody has like mental issues or social social issues, basically social hurts, but um, throwing money to those situations only increases that. So for me, I believe that it's uh, institutions and in, in, in the Treaty Eight territory where it's accessible by our people. Basically, to deal with the the uh, not only the residual effects today of residential school, and I say that because uh, you know we hear stories like, and uh, to date, no ground penetrating radar has happened in any of the res- residential schools in Treaty Eight yet, and to date, you know, you're just dealing with uh, people calling and uh, the hurt, the abuse that was suffered there, so. 
and these are second, third generation uh, adults now too from the uh, residual effects of the residential school. So mm-hmm. when you throw money to those, there's no healing, there's no, uh, uh, I guess, re- re- recovering or, you know, there's no closure to it. It's just an ongoing. So I believe that, you know, we have these uh, institutions where our people can go to heal and get help, you know, not only just that, but also the programming, the support that that's going to be a crucial piece. Agree. Well, congratulations once again on your re-election as Grand Chief, and we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us this morning. Uh, You're welcome, Sue, and thank you so much for time. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks. That's Arthur Noski, who is the newly re-elected Grand Chief of Treaty 8 Territory. You can go to treaty8.ca for more details. In a bid to save some mowing and maintenance costs, the City of Calgary is trying a pilot project along 16th Avenue in the Northeast. They've removed the grass running alongside the road and instead replaced it with a mix of prairie grass, wildflowers and bee boxes. Dr. Elizabeth Murray is the senior scientist with Earthmaster Environmental Strategies Incorporated. One of the people in charge of this project and joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Murray. Appreciate your time. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for having me. Okay, so paint us a little bit of a picture. I mean, I talked about it, but I've probably simplified it quite a lot. But what's happening along this stretch of 16th Ave? Well, when the city uh, originally set this up, it was planted with a Kentucky bluegrass, which is a type of grass that we normally see in our lawns. And of course, that type of grass requires maintenance. You have to mow it and you have to look after it. The city is looking to reduce the amount of maintenance on these types of areas and help the biodiversity. So what they've done is uh, instituted a pilot project where they've replaced the Kentucky bluegrass with a mixture of native grasses and also some wildflowers. And in order to keep those wildflowers healthy, we've also installed a series of uh, bee boxes along the area to foster the bee population. So the bees will help the flowers and the flowers will help the bees and overall the biodiversity of the area will increase and of course the bonus to putting in natural grasses and flowers is that you don't have to mow them Mm -hmm. so it reduces the maintenance cost for the city and it looks nice too so let's these are not these are not beehives we want people to be clear they're bee boxes so explain what they are so these uh these were built by ben polterak the bee expert that we have in our company so what this is is there's two types if you walk along that area you'll see uh a box made out of um, plywood that's got a single hole in the front and a lid that lifts up. Inside of that is some raw cotton, and those are for social bees, uh, things like bumblebees. They'll go in there. These are not honeybees. Honeybees are not native bees, and so you won't find them uh, in these types of boxes. You'll find things like bumblebees. And then there's also solitary bees. They they, uh, will go to... Um, the other type of bee box that we've installed, which is actually not a bee box, but it's actually a piece of uh, log that's got single holes drilled into it, a series of different sizes. And those solitary bees will go into those holes and, and uh, nest in there. We don't have a lot of time left, but does it seem to be working so far? Well, we had flowers bloom this past weekend. So if people go out and have a look, then they'll see some California poppies blooming and soon we'll get some Coryopsis and some sunflowers. So it appears to be working despite the challenging conditions this year. Love it. I think it's a great idea and hopefully you'll be able to expand it beyond what we have so far. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That is Dr. Elizabeth Murray, Senior Scientist with Earthmaster Environmental Strategies, and you can find them online, earthmaster.ca. This is a stretch 16th Avenue Northeast between 52nd and 68th Street. So go have a look. 
Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.